0: And then as you're doing that, if you would, however you access the scriptures, if you have an old school Bible with real pages, or a phone, or a tablet, find your way to the New Testament. We're going to look at Luke 22, verses 14 through 20 this morning. And then this morning, what we're going to do is, is, as you've seen, uh, if you kind of know the normal rhythm, the first Sunday of every month is when we take some time to focus in on Communion which you normally will see the tables, and usually that comes in some form during our worship or maybe uh, after the message, and we'll be doing that after the message this morning, but really the entire morning this morning is about what I believe God wants us to hear about what we're going to do in just just a little while with communion. Uh, depending on your kind of religious background or your tradition, communion is known as the Lord's Table, the Lord's Supper, Supper the Eucharist, different forms, different different language used to basically describe the same thing, which is... These two elements, which we're going to take in a little while, is a bre- piece of bread or a cracker and a cup of juice, which are symbols for something greater than themselves. They're reminders to us of what Jesus has done through his death and his resurrection. Now, I say all that because what we're going to look at in this passage together, what we're going to talk about today, is remembering. And in the middle of this, this passage, we'll read through there's one particular word that's going to stand out that Jesus says to his followers, when he really inst- really kind of inst- establishes this thing that we call communion. And he says, he says, do this to, remember this part, remember me. Why would Jesus tell his disciples when he's about to do something to do this in the future to remember him? Why would Jesus say to remember? Because we all forget, don't we? think, well, no, I have a great memory. I never forget anything. We all forget things. We forget important things. We forget insignificant things. We all forget. And that's why we have to do things in our life that reinforces what we are supposed to remember. So have you ever in your life forgotten something that you thought was important for the day? Anybody ever walked out of the house without your wallet or your purse? Yeah? And you get a little bit down the road and you think, ah, no, there's been times when Kim and I hop in the car, we're going somewhere and we're like an hour away from home and I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, I forgot my wallet. I look at Kim like, all right, we're pulling over. You're driving. I'm not driving. I don't want to get pulled over without my license. So you forget things. I remember one time I've told the story. I forgot to pick up my kids from school, like completely forgot. And, and Kim calls me and says, uh, did you forget something? And I'm like, no, I'm good. Got a great day at work going. She goes, uh, yeah, you forgot our kids. You know? And then, then I showed up, and they are the last two kids in the whole school. And it took me a year to recover their trust after that. But you know what, more than like your wallet or your purse, more than even your kids, you know what I think I've realized? If you forget your phone, you're dead. In our culture, you might as well just leave the house naked if you don't take your phone with you, right? Because we like, we go into a panic, and I've done that. I've like driven away, and I'm on the freeway, and I look where I have a little like, you know, a dash kind of mount for my phone, and there's no phone, and I'm like, oh no, what what am I going to do? You know, because you can't live without a phone, and so those are the things that are, are things that we do, all of us, all the time. So Jesus comes along and knows our human condition and realizes there's something more important than your phone, your purse, your wallet, and even more important than your kids. Is that we remember what Jesus did for us in his death and his resurrection, and that's what I want to focus in on this morning. As we move towards receiving these elements together, is to kind of get the bigger picture of what we're, what we're doing, because communion, and, and, and forgive me as a as pastor, and forgive us if communion has ever felt like a speed bump on the way to something else, or it's been kind of a, a little add-on at the end, because what we're going to talk about this morning gives us the significance of what we do to remember what Jesus has done for us. So looking at Luke 22, verses 14 through 20, we're going to read through in a moment, but just here's the context. Jesus is literally hours away from being arrested He gets put on trial, he gets beaten and abused, and then eventually he ends up on the cross and he dies for us. He knows this is coming, he knows he's going to suffer. And just before he does that, he gathers his disciples, his original twelve, and he sits them down for what they call the Passover meal. And he has them together, and when he's about to go through this, he establishes something that will change all of our destinies forever. Because he's saying something to his early followers about remembering what he's about to do that will change everything. So with that context in mind, let me read starting verse 14 down to verse 20. So it says, And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the disciples with him, or the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you, from now, from now I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do it in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And I want to stop there and, and just walk through this passage, because Jesus highlights for you and I the significance of, of what communion means, because it isn't just about an event, it isn't just about a Sunday, it's about our entire lives. So look back at the passage, look at the first two verses, 14 and 15. Celebrating communion, what we're about to do is important. Why? Because it reminds us of God's plan. So Jesus says something really important. He says in verse 15 particularly, he says, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you. What is going on there? So, most if you don't have a Jewish background, Passover is something that's just kind of a biblical event, and you think, yeah, that's great. But the Passover for the Jew was the commemoration, the celebration of what God had done in their history when he had liberated them from Egypt. If you remember the story where God had sent these plagues because Egypt was dominating Israel, they were enslaved to Egypt, and God sends these plagues to warn Pharaoh to let god 's people go and Pharaoh keeps heart, his heart gets hardened, and eventually, the ultimate plague that God sends over Pharaoh and all of Egypt is that the firstborn of all things would die to get his attention, but in order to save his people, what God did is He instructed Israel to take A lamb and to slaughter it and to take the blood and put the blood over their doorposts. So then, when the angel of death came to take the lives of the firstborn, that the houses where the blood was covering them, their lives would be spared. Now, why is this significant? Jesus gathered at a Passover meal with his his original disciples about to go to the cross. And the reason he had earnestly desired to be with them in this Passover meal is he was about to show them that the ultimate lamb for the Passover wasn't a lamb that was slaughtered hundreds if not thousands of years before. It was himself, the one that was about to be sacrificed. Why is that important? Because I don't know where we get this idea, but sometimes we think that Jesus, his death and his resurrection is somehow God's plan B. As though humanity got so bad, we got so terrible at sin, that that finally we kind of like, we got God's arm and we twisted it really hard. And he's like, okay, okay, finally I'll give you my son to make sure I can deal with your sin. That's not the way it happened. That from the beginning of time embedded way back in Israel's, Israel's history was what? This idea of sacrifice for the payment of sin that brings forgiveness and freedom. And Jesus was pointing back to the Passover saying, that was a symbol of what I was going to do once and for all, for all humanity. That was God's plan from the beginning. And this is significant because every single moment of every single day, God is fulfilling his plan through Jesus' death and resurrection, whether you feel it or not, whether you know it or not, every single day. And the reason that's important is because if you're like me, we forget about Jesus and the cross all the time. Well, maybe remember it when we're reading it from the scriptures. Maybe when we're praying, we're going through a hard time. We show up on a Sunday morning. We have communion. We remember it. But then most of us, not all of us, but most of us, when you leave here today, you may be inspired by a great message or wonderful worship. You're going to go to lunch. You're going to do it. And by the end of the afternoon, you've OD'd on whatever you're going to watch on TV or football or whatever it is. And then you e- head into another week tomorrow morning. You're going to go back into the normal rhythm of life, which somehow disconnects from the reality of Jesus' death on the cross. That's why Jesus says, remember, this is God's plan A. This is one of the things I love about when you drive by a cross on a hillside. Now, it's interesting in our culture, crosses have become kind of a a political battleground or or a religious battleground that, you know, when a cross is put on a piece of land and eventually the government takes over that land, you can't have a religious symbol on land, so Christians get up in arms about it. We're going to keep the cross there. And and it misses the complete point about what the cross is about. The symbol of the cross is meant to remind us of what Jesus has done every single day. Now I have a great advantage in where I live. I live on the west side of town. I live on the west side of Simi. And literally, from my backyard, I can look up and see Mount McCoy, which sits across. Most everybody in Simi knows there's a cross there. If you don't, by the way, there's a cross in our city up on a hill, okay? Did you know that there's been some form of a cross on that hill since 1813. It's amazing. And what's beautiful about that cross is not the concrete that it's currently made out of, not the hill that it's on. What's powerful about that cross is every time I see it, God speaks to me. This is all about Jesus. This is all about my plan A. Now, one of the things I love about my drive home from anywhere is normally if I'm coming from the, west, the, the east side of our town, I'm driving, I will turn left on, off of L.A. onto Simi Village Drive, go right behind the post office, and as I come around that turn, I look up, and boom, the cross is right there. Every day. And so if I'm coming home, and I've had a bad day, and it's been difficult, and I'm exhausted, I'll look at the cross, and then God will say to me again, all of this all around you the church this city the people the world this is all god's plan a and it comes through that cross i even have a picture of the sunset going down behind the cross from my front yard that i can see that's on my computer desktop so every single time i look at my computer i see the cross as a reminder this is about god's plan a that's why people will what some people will wear a cross around their their neck, and they don't even really know what it means. It just looks cool, and I look religious. But what is that, what is it a reminder of? There is no cross that is sacred, by the way. It's what it symbolizes that's sacred. And if we will think of it that way, there are reminders that God wants to place in our life every single day. And that's why we have to do things to remember, because we forget. That's why, if you have an iPhone, you have an app called Reminders. Even Apple knows that people forget. But way before Apple was Jesus, and he knew that we would forget. So the embedded in who we are and where we live even, there's a constant reminder. This is God's plan A, the cross, Jesus' death for the forgiveness of sin, to restore people back into relationship with God. That's God's plan A. And every single moment of every single day, God is accomplishing that purpose. This is significant, whether you feel it or not. This event that happened two thousand years ago ripples all the way back into history and all the way f- forward into the future to impact all of humanity. If we will wake up and remember what Jesus has done for us, you know, there's a second reality. Look at verse sixteen: it, communion and His power and celebrating. It also reminds us of the future. It's like, how do you get reminded of the future? You're not reminded of a memory of the future, you're reminded of what's going to happen in the future. So Jesus says something really important, verse 16. He says, For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. What is Jesus talking about? He's not going to have this meal, this feast again, until the ultimate fulfillment of everything he came to accomplish is completed in the kingdom of God. What does that mean? This is significant. So here's one of the disadvantages that we have in the way that, that, that church church current church culture set up this is not the way communion was done in the early church the way we do it they didn't have the shiny plates they didn't have the little crackers and the cool cool little plastic cups they didn't have any of that you know what they would do they would have a meal it was always a meal it was a meal when jesus started it was a meal in the new testament that's the way that it was set up and so because of it communion was based on a banquet it was based on a meal that we, they would come together and that's so significant because Jesus says, I'm not going to eat this feast. I'm not going to eat this meal. He's not talking about Passover. He's talking about the fulfillment of what he's come to do. until come to the fullness of the kingdom of God. What's the fullness of the kingdom of God? At the end of all things, when people who have embraced Jesus are once again fully reunited, reunited with God face to face in his presence forever. Now, what kicks that off? After the judgments and everything and after, what kicks that off? I'll tell you what kicks it off. A banquet. Now, why is this important? Because one of the things I've discovered about being a Christian is that we get super religious and super uptight about partying. You're like, uh-oh, what's Pastor John going to say now? <laughs> Do you know that Jesus partied when he was on the earth? You're thinking, well, see, your definition of partying, Jesus did, yeah, it's probably different, okay? <laughs> but I need you to understand, we get, all. Oh, Tight about oh my gosh, people are gonna might get drunk and it's gonna get out of control and I don't you know whatever it is. Do you know that Jesus hung out with sinners in parties where people were drunk? Did you know that? Do you know that Jesus liked to celebrate and liked to party, but not I know not to the excess. I get that. I'm not trying to advocate for drunkenness and carousing. Okay, but what I, what I want us to get is this: Jesus establishes throughout the Gospels an illustration and a parable of a banquet. He talks about it in Luke chapter 14. He talks about a banquet where this invitation sent out from a master and says, hey, you got to come in. And then everybody comes up with excuses. It's a banquet when he tells the, the, the whole story of, of the bridegroom coming and, and, and the whole concept of a feast. It's the it's the what? It's the feast of the bride. It's the it's the wedding feast. It's always about a banquet. It's always about a feast. It's always about that. It's so important. And then ultimately, ultimately, at the end of all time, all of this thing that God is doing, God's planning, is going to culminate in what the Bible calls, and what we have referenced, is the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's a party. It's a celebration. It's a banquet. In fact, listen to Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 through 9. When God gives this vision to to John, this is what he writes down. This is what he sees in the future. He says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty pearls of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God is the the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said this to them, these are the true words of God. See, what is, what is this whole thing that God's up to? This is an invitation to humanity to be reunited with God forever, and it kicks off with a banquet. And the way that you get there is through Jesus' death and his resurrection, which allows you to recover from your sin and brokenness, and he gives you his righteousness so that you can be sitting at the table with him in eternity, celebrating your freedom. And I say that because we need to lighten up. I'm not saying go out and get blitzed, okay? I am saying this. You better get used to having a celebration because that's what heaven's going to look like. Because when you've been forgiven and you've been set free and you're no longer bound by sin, you better celebrate. Otherwise, you don't know what's going on. You ever been to like a reunion? You ever been to like a feast? You ever been to like a, like for, for me this last summer in, in July, my dad turned 80. So his desire for us is that all of the family would be together. He threatened us with a cruise so he could sequester us on a ship, but we ended up in Pismo Beach, which worked out better. But my parents rented this huge house so the whole family could come. And, And if you've been to that environment, it is so fun when you get together and you get to see your family that you haven't seen in a long time. And we sat at a table in this reunion. In fact, Kim and I joke about this. Kim came from a family of two kids, her and her brother. I came from a family of four, me and three older sisters. We were loud at the dinner table and when Kim first came over she goes you guys are rude I'm like no we're just loud that's all we are but we enjoy being together in fact the first night at this reunion my dad's turning 80 we're all at the table together and I'm just watching the conversations pop up and we're you know at Kim's household one at a time speaks you very you don't cut any people off in my house if you do that you never get to talk so the volume level is just going like this, you know, and I'm like, I'm loving it. And then I turn to Kim, and she's sitting next to Jordan. Jordan and Kim have similar personalities. They're like more subdued. And they're like, their eyes are huge. Like, we're going to explode from the volume level in here. I'm like, isn't this fun? <laughs> because we're all together again. And when you come back, there's just something about when you come back with family. I know some of you are like, I don't want to get together with my family. But, but I've been blessed with a healthy family. We all want to get together. Why? Because when you walk in that door, you feel like you're accepted. You feel like you belong. And you're there, there's joy, and there's excitement. Why? Because we're back together again. Can you imagine on this grand scale of all of human history and all of humanity that embraces Jesus, what kind of banquet that's going to be like? It's going to be an incredible celebration. Why is that important? Because this little symbolic thing that we're going to do today points to that. It's a small taste of what we're going to experience in the future. And then there's a third reality of what it reminds us. It reminds us of others. So Jesus, is sitting at a table with his 12 disciples, he says this in verse 17. He says, he took the cup, he gave thanks, he said this, take this and divide it among yourselves. This is important. Jesus, there's 12 at the table, and he says, listen, there's enough for all of you. You're going to divide this among yourselves. You're going to all take this. Why? Because it isn't just one person. And the reason this is important to remember is that when we come to communion, our kind of... Structure. what we end up doing is a lot of times we kind of go inward and we make it just us and Jesus. It's just me. I mean, I got to deal with my sin. I want forgiveness. And I got to bring it before the Lord. I want to confess. But we forget this was done in a relational context. When you're sitting at a table, you have to look at people, don't you? Which, by the way, you know the whole, <laughs> the, 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 uh, the Da Vinci kind of, you know, Last Supper, everyone facing forward. You know that? Probably didn't happen that way. Just sorry to shatter your whole idea, because when they were sitting at a table reclining together, reclining around a table, and you actually have to face people. So when Jesus is handing this around and you're dividing it, you're doing this, someone has to hand it to you, you have to look at them, you have to realize, we're doing this collectively. And that means when we come to communion, we understand something really important. God's grace and God's mercy and God's forgiveness isn't just for me, it's for everybody. And sometimes we forget that. We forget that it is about a world around us. It's about the person sitting next to us. It's about the people that we should love but that we hate. That God's grace extends to them through the cross. It's for everybody. Which is really important because remember sitting at this table. Literally if we kept reading the passage. You know what happens in the next verse? Jesus basically says, yeah, the guy who dips his bread in the cup with me, he's the one that's going to betray me. Sin is already starting to creep in, in the brokenness of humanity. They're sharing this. Jesus is sharing communion with the guy who's going to stab him in the back because he knew that Judas needed as much as anybody. And if you and I have that perspective, in fact, the, if we remember people, why, and that's if Paul, Paul wrote the whole book of 1 Corinthians because he, there was a church that was really good at one point and messed up on everything. And they even messed up on communion. They couldn't even do that right. In fact, because it was a feast, the way the Corinthian church had set it up is that they were having a feast that were celebrating Jesus' death for them. And what they would do is, in preparation of the feast, people would show up early, and they would start eating. They wouldn't wait for everybody to get there. And then some of them would do it so much, they would get drunk. And by the time people who couldn't get there on time got there late, there was nothing left. Why? Because they didn't think about anybody. They just thought about what was there for them. So Paul, in 1 Corinthians 11, he goes after him. You guys, listen, because some of you are even getting sick because you're, you're basically defiling the whole purpose of Jesus' sacrifice, which is for everybody. And I think for us, we have to ask ourselves a question. Do we really believe that Jesus' death on the cross is for everybody? Or is it just for me, or just the people like me, or just the people who I know? But it's for everybody. We're going to sing a song, or actually Danny and Amanda will sing it probably more over us than with us, When we do communion in a little bit, and it's a song by Leland, it's called Carry to the Table. There's a line in there I love. The line is this, it's in the chorus. It says, And I don't see my brokenness anymore when I'm seated at the table of the Lord. What does that mean? That means when you come to communion, when you come to this remembering Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection, you don't come as as somebody who is carrying their weight of sin and burden and then saying, okay, how do I clean myself up so I can be good enough to be at the table? No, you show up to the table as a sinner, and then God removes your sin. Because at the table, you're not a sinner anymore because what Jesus has done on the cross. Why is that important? Because there's people in your life that you need to bring to the table. You've been brought to the table. Somebody else brought you to the table. Through relationships, through circumstances. God, God worked in your life through somebody else to bring you to the table. Why? Because He loves you, but He loves somebody else. And He's saying to you, you, it's time for you to bring somebody to the table. Who is it that needs to come to the table? It may be someone who knows, doesn't know Jesus. It may be someone who does know Jesus and is broken right now. And they need somebody to come along and bring them back to the table and remind them they are forgiven. This picture of the table is so important because the table is a place of feasting. The table's a place of celebration. The, taste, the table is a place of acceptance. When you're welcome to the table, sometimes that's all that we have is just being present. There are people that maybe you know, they, they just need God's grace. They are broken, they're sinners. they're going through a difficult time. You may disagree with what's going on in their life, but you know what they need? They don't need your judgment. They don't need you to point out how you can fix them. They just need grace. They just need to be at the table. They just need to encounter Jesus through somebody who's going to love them. One of my closest friends went through one of the most difficult times of his life when he literally lost everything. And almost to the point where he lost his faith in the reality of a God. And we sat down. I remember up in Portland, there is a booth in California Pizza Kitchen in Portland, Oregon that to me is a sacred space for he and I. Because we would sit there at least once a month, and we'd have lunch. And I would sit there, and I'd just listen. I'd listen to him get angry. I'd listen to him cry. I'd listen to him cuss. I'd listen to him get mad at God for where his situation was, even though he had brought it on himself. I'd watch him go through all these emotions, and I just listened. Because I knew what he needed. He didn't need me to fix him. He me, didn't even need me to point out what was wrong in his life. He already knew that. He just needed to come to the table and sit there and knew that he was going to be accepted by me regardless of what he was going through. Who is it in your life that just needs to come to the table? And the table ultimately leads them to Jesus. And Jesus transforms them and Jesus forgives them and Jesus lifts the load of sin off of them. Who is it that needs to come to the table that God is calling you to bring with you so they can experience his grace as you have in their life? And then the fourth reality is that it reminds us of, and this may sound cliche, but it reminds us of Jesus. So, going in verses eighteen and nineteen, particularly verse nineteen, it says what Jesus he said he took the bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, he gave it to them. This is what he said: "This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me." He didn't even say remembrance of the cross. He said remembrance of me, and this is significant. This is going to sound cliche, but at the end of the day, it's all about Jesus. And you need to hear me say that. It's all about Jesus. Why is that important? Because we make it about everything except Jesus. We do. We complicate. 2,000 years ago, Jesus dies on the cross, rises from the dead. No one's ever done that. He didn't do that to start a church, by the way. He did that to establish the kingdom of God, which is way bigger than the church. The church just happens to be the people of God gathered together and then on his mission. But Jesus does this 2,000 years ago, and, and and. sacrifices himself for all of humanity as this amazing demonstration of love to bring people in relationship with God. It's really simple at its, at its kind of its base form. And then from that, what happens? We just make it really complicated. We form denominations. We come up with systems. We establish religion, and we call it Christianity, which, by the way, I'm sorry to burst your bubble, Jesus did not come to establish Christianity. He didn't. That is a man-made reality. Jesus was obviously not wanting to perpetuate the religion of Judaism. So he came not as a book and not as a law, but as a person to establish his kingdom. Why is that significant? Because where in our life have we missed it? This is about Jesus. When we start clamoring for things in our life, or we want God to do this, or we start critiquing church or other people, and at the end of the day, it's about Jesus. At the end of your lifetime, whether you know him or not, you will someday stand and it will just be you and Jesus. That's it. He won't even care what church you went to. He won't go, Okay, did you go to Antioch or did you go to Cornerstone? Did you go to Grace Brother? What was your theology? He doesn't care. Did you know him? Why? Because what's the question Jesus is going to ask? Do you know me? Oh, yeah, yeah, I know you. Why? Because I did this, and I did this. I performed this religious activity. And Jesus goes, no, oh, no, 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 no. I never knew you. I didn't ask for religion. I didn't ask for obligation. I didn't ask for you to jump through hoops. I asked for a relationship with me. At the end of the day, it's about Jesus. That's why we have to come back to communion and say, okay, oh, okay, let's reset the table here. This is not about religion. It's not about critiquing church. It's not about all the things that we make it about. It's about Jesus. At the end of the day, it's how we engage Jesus. So when you're going through a difficult time in life, what you do is don't look around other people or other things to blame. Just get back to the fact that how am I engaging with Jesus? Because that's all that matters. And what points to Jesus is what? His death, his resurrection, the cross. It brings us back again to Jesus. Jesus is God's plan A. Everything goes through Jesus, and we can't lose sight of that. When we do, sometimes we, we get off track and we make it about things other than Jesus. And then the final reality is this. Is that communion and participation, and it reminds us that we are forgiven. Now you think, I got that one. That's the whole point, right? Forgiveness, Jesus' death on the cross. So listen to what Jesus says in verse 20. When he takes the cup, he says this, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Very important phrase, especially to a group of Jewish people gathered there. So at the time... Israel is under an old covenant. They don't call it old. It's the covenant that God made with them after they came out of Egypt where God established the law at Mount Sinai. This is the covenant God made with Israel. This sacrificial system that basically said, God says, okay, here's all the do's and don'ts if you want to engage me in perfect people with a perfect God, it's called the law. And I know that you're human, and I know that you're going to fail. And so there's a system of sacrifice that when you fail, sacrifice can made, be made on your behalf so that you can engage with me again and we can be right. But that system is set up based on sacrificing what? Animals. And so the animals have to be sacrificed over and over and over again every time there's sin so that there can be atonement for sin so you can engage. That's the old system. That's what they've been set up on. Jesus says when he's sitting there with the bread and the cup with these. 12 Jewish guys, this is a new covenant. That had to be like, whoa, 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 whoa what was wrong with the old one? <laughs> oh, there's plenty wrong with the old one. She's saying, this is a new covenant that once and for all my blood shed for you will cover all sin for all time. Not repeated sacrifices. One sacrifice for all time. For every sin by every person for all of human history. This is what's amazing. And it isn't required to jump through hoops every day to keep gaining it. It's just there. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews talks about this, the first and second or the new and the old covenant. This is Hebrews chapter 8, verses 7 through 13. It says, if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. But when God found fault with the people, he said, The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. They did not remain faithful to my covenant, so I turned my back on them, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds, and I will write them on their hearts. This is not an outward law. This is something God's doing internally. And it goes on, and it says, I will be their God, and they will be my people, which is ultimately why, God, why Jesus came, what, to establish relationship with humanity back to God. And they will need, uh, not, need not teach their neighbors, nor will they teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord, for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already. And I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. When God speaks a new covenant, it means he has made the first one obsolete. It is now out of date and will soon disappear. That God forgives our wickedness, and then what? Forgets our sin. Forgets our sin. God doesn't look at you with an asterisk next to your name. Oh yeah, I love them, but boy, I know what they did last night. I know what they've done in their history. I know what they've confessed and I've forgiven for. I I remember even though they're forgiven, I, I still got that logged in somewhere. No, he actually says he forgets. He forgets so that there is no impact. It doesn't play into the way he relates to you and I today when sin is covered by the blood of Jesus and forgiveness comes to us. It no longer is on us. Here's the beauty and the craziness of this new covenant. This makes no sense. So the Old Covenant, when you sinned, sacrifice had to be made on your behalf. Otherwise, your sin was on you, and you were an object of God's wrath. New Covenant, it's crazy. Jesus, who doesn't sin at all, becomes the object of God's wrath. And us, who sin all the time, what happens is Jesus comes along and says, Give me your sin, and in my death on the cross, I'll pay for your sin, and then in exchange, I'll give you my righteousness perfect man takes sin of all of humanity and then gives us righteousness even though we're sinners. Is that like crazy? Just think about that for a moment. I mean, you didn't do anything to earn it. You, didn't, you weren't good enough and said, okay, finally I get to the bare minimum and God. No, God loves humanity so much. says, listen, here's the exchange. Your sin for my righteousness so you can be right with God. That's the new covenant. And the way that's done is this. This symbol that points to something bigger. It points to Jesus' death and his resurrection. So when we celebrate communion, there's so much more than just this quick exchange of grape juice and a cracker. This is something that all of human history is founded on. God's plan A to bring people back into relationship with him forever. What could be more important to remember than that? I'm going to close with this. I'm going to ask that uh, Danny and Amanda would come and join me. And we're going to go into, uh, I'll give you some instruction in a moment what we're going to do. But I think that there's something about when we come to communion that we, we, we lose the significance in, that I think that, that God wants us to really tap into today. And that is, there is a, there's a freedom and forgiveness that God brings to us as a reminder in communion that we are forgiven. Because I think one of the things that we have a tendency to forget is that we really are forgiven if you're like me, I'm like, yeah, I know that God says that. I've confessed my sin, but man, I sure don't feel forgiven. Anybody want to confess that's true? Because you still feel guilty. Still, you're still feeling the shame that comes over you, and you know where that's coming from. It's coming from the enemy, because that's condemnation, which pushes you backwards, whereas conviction, it comes from the Holy Spirit, pushes you forward. That's the difference, and that's why we have to constantly come back and be reminded, I am forgiven. That's why Jesus says, if you confess your sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin, right, and cleanse us from all that is unright in our life. That's what Jesus does. But we don't live that way. So back in the last week of June, Kim and I actually went on vacation, and it was the first vacation that we have gone on since the kids were born that was just us. Because Courtney and Jordan are like, you know, grownups now. They have their own jobs and their own life, and so they weren't able to go. So it was actually us and, and our baby that we have right now so we were like two days in we're like decompressing we're feeling great and then the phone rings it's Courtney it's our daughter and she said dad she said "Um, I got some bad news and we're like no not day two of our vacation nothing's gonna interrupt and she goes I came downstairs this morning and my first step off into the kitchen I stepped into water and she goes can I FaceTime you right now I'm like oh no I said yeah so she flips to FaceTime, and she's showing us, and our downstairs is, totally com- is filled with water. Come to find out, a toilet had backed up overnight, ran for six hours, and flooded our downstairs. So for the last two and a half months, we've had no downstairs, no living room, no dining room, no kitchen. We've been living upstairs as a family with a baby, and not the funnest experience, just telling you. We're going to get a great new kitchen and new downstairs out of it, but it's been hard. But you know, we through the whole thing, we've been... Those moments where it's really trying, you're like, ah, oh, it's taking forever, and it's, you know, this delay, or, or this didn't go off the way, you know, just frustrating. I remind myself constantly, the majority of the world has ten times less than what I have, I shouldn't complain. But there's those moments like, you know, when that, when the kitchen's done, you know what it's going to be like just to make a meal? Like, cooking it on a stove, and putting food in the oven, and, and having a hot meal at home. You know what it's going to be like to come home at the end of the day, and sit down on a couch, I mean just little things and we're just like envisioning you know what's going to be like when this is done and that is done and we're so excited but you know what would be the greatest tragedy of this whole process at the end of this next week it's supposed to be done we're supposed to move in downstairs and have our whole house back you know what the greatest tragedy would be is once everything's fully renovated fully renewed fully kind of redeemed from what happened in this flood is if we just kept living upstairs that would be silly wouldn't it literally you got this brand new, beautiful downstairs with state-of-the-art, state-of-the-art everything thank you to State Farm Insurance for covering the flood. And all we do is we come home at night, we pass through the beautiful downstairs and we go right back upstairs and we lived in the cramped space that we've been living in the last two and a half months. That would be silly, wouldn't it? It's kind of like when Jesus says, if you confess your sin, you are forgiven, but you aren't living as though you're free. You're still living in half the life that god purchased for you yeah you positionally you know yeah yeah i'm forgiven but you're not living that way you're living with shame and guilt and it controls every aspect of your life so it keeps you from the life that god has renewed and redeemed in you because you're just going to live with what's there instead of living with what's downstairs that god has completely redone and renewed inside of you the cross reminds us that god has called us to live a life that is fully redeemed in all aspects He touches every part of who we are. There's nothing that He does not go after. There's nothing that He doesn't redeem. There's no sin, no brokenness that God can't recover in our lives. That's the beauty of the cross. But His people have to live as though they're forgiven because they are. So I'm gonna pray in a moment and then what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna give you instruction. Here's the way we're gonna do this. I'm gonna pray and then after I pray, you're gonna be dismissed to go to the tables to receive the elements, to to grab the bread and the cup. And then I'm gonna ask you when you go back to your seat, Just hang on to those elements. We're going to take those together. Because once you're situated, Danny and Amanda are going to lead us in a song. And I'm going to encourage you, probably the words will be on the screen. You can sing along if you want, but it might be just a good moment to reflect on what's being sung, just to listen to what it means to be brought to the table of the Lord and what he wants to do in our lives. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, as we prepare to receive the symbols, the reminders of what you've done, we are coming back to a moment that changed all of our lives, that changed all of human history, that forgave every sin in the past, every sin in the present, and every sin that will ever be committed in the future through the cross, Jesus, through your death. I pray, Lord, as we come to this moment right now, that for some of us who have... Maybe we've confessed that you are our Lord and we have attempted to follow you, but we certainly aren't living forgiven, that today as we receive these elements, we would fully receive all of what it means to be forgiven, which is, Lord, we would gain your righteousness and we would feel an intimacy with the Father like we've never felt before because we know, we know that we're forgiven because Jesus, what you did on the cross, you took our sin on you so that we could be free. So, Lord Jesus, in these next few moments, would you, by your spirit, work in our hearts and our minds to be able to embrace fully what you're doing in this moment as we remember your cross today. In Jesus' name.